0: Welcome to Get Rich Without Being a Bitch. This is the place to hear real and raw conversations about what it takes for female entrepreneurs to achieve financial success and live a rich life. I'm Vanessa Shaw, author of The Million Dollar Question and your hostess for this podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Get Rich Without Being a Bitch. Very excited and frankly curious about my guest today. We have with us Dana Farrant, who is, runs her own business, empowering other women about really being in the driver's seat of their business and owning their power which, of course, totally speaks to the heart of the work that we are doing with women as well. And I'm very excited to dive into this conversation because Dana has a really interesting backstory. And I just know a couple of the highlights of her backstory. I actually don't know the details. But the minute I heard the highlights, I was like, okay, we just need to get you on the podcast So I'm gonna be learning about this at the same time as you are when you're listening. And um, let me just give you a little kind of sneak peek as to what happened. When we were booking Dana as well onto my calendar to do the recording, one of my team members reached out to me and was like, Vanessa, there's something up. I mean, is this normal? Have you been hacked? Something's odd. And I was like, what's going on? And they went, well, there's a dominatrix that is booked on your calendar? And I was like, yes, because Dana Farrant is my next podcast guest. She grew up in a cult. She left that cult at 18. In her 30s, she became a dominatrix. And we are going to be diving into all of this juiciness today. Dana, welcome. Oh, thank you, Vanessa. I am
1: so looking forward to having a fabulous conversation with you
0: so you know there's so many places where again i'm curious so i just want to kind of let my mm-hmm. my curiosity uh lead this growing up in a cult um i just have no idea of or perspective of what that was even like so can you kind of give us give us the cliff notes of like what does that mean what does it look like what was the experience of that
1: mm-hmm. Okay, so I grew up Jehovah's Witness, and my parents were extremists with it. So it was very controlling. And in that uh, organization, basically, I wasn't allowed to associate with anybody outside of that organization. Um, And we had things that we had to do. Of course, you know, people are familiar with the door to door knocking that used to happen regularly. And, um, and then in school, there was a lot of segregation that happened. So we weren't allowed to participate in any kind of religious and or um, holiday things. So you imagine art class. Every, do you know how many you know holidays there are? <laughs> Every art class, like the week leading up to Christmas is all Santas and things. And I, so I can't participate in any of that. I'm always doing something different. The Lord's Prayer and the National Anthem, of course, I grew up at a time that that was played. I always had to stand out in the hall for that to say that I was not participating, right? The, the visual. So every turn I am segregated from the normal population in school and always feeling different. And then the confines and the constructs within the religion is such that you are constantly shown that as a female, you have no value. You're there to get married, have children. That is your purpose. Don't worry about getting an education. Don't worry your pretty little head about that. Um, You know, it it is really just imprinted over and over again, that you have no value, that you're, you just, you know, it's just there. And so that's what I grew up with. That's the imprinting that happened. And then, you know, also layered on that, I had a stepmother who felt very jealous of me. I didn't realize it at the time, but when I left at 18, I truly believed that I was two things, that I was stupid and that I was fat. And I was neither of those things. I'm actually in the top three percentile of intelligence. And when I look back at pictures of myself then, it's like, I was skinnier then. I don't think I'm fat now. So, you know, there's a lot of mental manipulation that happens in cults, lots of brainwashing, we call it, um, and those are the hard pieces to untangle because they happen at such a formative time in your life, so that's kind of where I came from and what I was moving out of.
0: gosh, as I say, so as you say, you know, and to be you know like completely immersed in that, right, and as you say, mm-hmm. then the segregation so um, what was it like as well growing up? I mean, you know, to be, to have that level of segregation, I imagine that that led to a lot of discrimination as well from other other kids. Because kids, yeah. can be, they can be pretty brutal cruel. and pretty unkind. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I was quite fortunate. There were some other kids that, that had it a lot worse than me um, because I have such a high emotional intelligence. Uh, I think I was able to kind of make friends with everybody. There was, I definitely got picked on. I got teased, not, I didn't get bullied, thankfully. Um, But mostly there was just, you know, it was just this underlying like, oh, we're having a party. Oh, you can't come, you know, like Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. So there was always on the outside. Um, And my way of coping with it was to become friends with everybody um, and then make my main group of people, especially in high school, I made my main group, all the people who were like the nerdy people, right? Mm. The ones who weren't likely to have parties that I was going to have to say no to. Uh, so, so those were my ways around it, but definitely I, you know, I always felt like an outcast. I always felt like I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, cause I couldn't participate, you know, yeah. I couldn't do the things that yeah. other kids were doing.
0: Absolutely, and so tough. And then, let's face it: growing up as a kid, that we've got enough insecurities. Anyway, right? we're finding our, <laughs> our own way in the world. Um, yes. You know, like, look at myself here on screen. You know, I was the ginger-haired freckled kid that you know was often p- picked last for teams and things. You know, <laughs> and not overly athletic either, right? But again, that's, right. Okay, that's still fairly fairly small compared to you know what other people have gone through, and certainly yourself. Tell me about the lead up, though, to being 18 and leaving a cult, because from the outside, I imagine that this is not something easy. And where did that thought process, you know, oftentimes because I think about some of the clients we work with and of course that you will have worked with as well. Just leaving your own hometown and the place that you've grown up in can be really difficult to break away. Right. Because other people. Get feel threatened by that level of change. You know, they 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 can feel a level of betrayal. You know, and I have lived on you know different continents now and and several different countries, but leaving a cult is got to have a whole other set of kind of rules um, and expectations around it. So I'm curious about kind of your mindset even leading up to that. What got you in the thought process?
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because. When I look back now, I'm like, oh my goodness, I did that. Because there is that like, wow. In order to do, to leave the cult, like I had to leave everyone and everything that I've known because everything revolves around the organization. Everything revolves around those people. Those are all your friends. Those are your family. For me, they were like my surrogate families. Um, And I think the biggest motivation for me in the mindset was that I had such a strong disconnect and a repulsion for what they were preaching, what they were spewing out from the from the center, that it just was not resonating. And I kept balking it inside. And I tried going the other way. I tried going all in, you know, at 16, I got baptized and I was like, all right, I'm I'm like gonna get in. I'm gonna like make this work, right? I want to fit in somewhere. And I tried that and after about two months, I was like, yeah, no, I'm all out. So mm. there's, and that's kind of a theme for me. I noticed that when I try everything, when i have like, okay, I've been all in and yeah, now I can safely say I need to be all out. And, you know, I was, I was very fortunate that I actually had um, a few family members that had already left. So my mother had already left and my sister had already left. So I had a, somewhat of a support outside um but knowing for me that if I stayed the path that I could see for myself was me killing myself Mm. and that it was like I want to have me I want to do what works for me no matter what the cost and that's what I got to and I had to leave
0: Mm. You know, it's interesting when you, you know, even there's a part of that that really resonates with my own story of wanting to leave Switzerland. Now, mine, mine wasn't around, you know, actually killing myself and ending my life. However, there most definitely was a part where there was a part of me that was dying inside, mm. And I just knew, again, it's like, no, if I'm on this path, the path that I'm on now, I'm going to become a smaller and smaller, smaller version of myself. And that became the thing that was painful enough to propel me to want to make a really big move because you know again moving from Europe closing down everything getting kids out of school and you know coming to the states is you know it's a fairly big deal (laughs) like everything doesn't seem like it now right but again many people don't do those things so totally get that and then so okay so you leave but then what it's like where do you go? I mean, how do you at 18 as well? I mean, again, it's a very tender time in somebody's life. You know, yeah. adulthood, we're trying to work, you know, figure things out, what wonder what our journey is, not what the path is that we're going to take. And I'm guessing that you had very few, you know, you had nobody to yeah. guide you except for yourself at that point.
1: Yeah, it was it was a lot of trial and error. And um, I would say way more error than, than, than success. I quite honestly, I just went down the path of, you know, sex and drugs and alcohol and, you know, trying to numb out. And, and in looking back, I can see that what a lot of what I was doing was experiencing extremes. So I would go and, you know, be right into the drugs and the alcohol. And then I would spend a time, I went to AA And I sobered up and I was like, okay, I need to be sober. And I I didn't touch anything. And in experiencing those two extremes, that's just one example. But in experiencing the two ends of the spectrum, I started to figure out, okay, who am I? Because here's the interesting thing with leaving a cult is that, you know, if you've gotten in, say you got into a cult at 18 and then you leave, you eventually untangle the brainwashing and you go back to who you were before you joined but who i was before i joined was not born so mm. i had to spend a lot of time discovering who am i what works for me and and you know again hindsight like i'm i'm 50 now so i can look back and i can say oh now i see what was going on with the journey is that all the way through it everything that i've done is experience both ends of a spectrum and then figure out where is that happy medium for me And, and it's a, it's a long process. I did a lot of therapy. I, I experienced a lot of um, different modalities and healings. And then some of the most profound healing actually is, was in the dungeon. So when I got involved with the BDSM world, that was where I really started to be able to untangle the abuse that had happened and untangle some of the programming and and really start to step into my power, which was the piece that I felt like I never had growing up. I didn't feel like I had a voice. I didn't feel like I had the right to ask for what I wanted. And so that, that space of getting into that world was so vital for me. It was so healing. Mm.
0: Gosh, Again, even when, you know, you say the dungeon and I'm like, okay, like let's, let's go there, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, again, not the obvious path of healing, right? Or again, right. perhaps not, you know, I mean, and, and who knows, right? And let's say it's not where, where my head naturally goes to, let me right. describe that, not where my head naturally goes to. Yeah. And as I say, yet so much curiosity around that, So, you know, being a dominatrix, I mean, A, what does that, what, what did it do for you? I mean, kind of why, why that now that new path of healing and what, what was important and what was some of those key pieces of learning there?
1: Okay. So let me, let me back up and make some links. So at 21, I started my own business in massage therapy and um and along the path, I had you know branched out, I had massage therapy clinics and I had started a, a massage supply outlet. So that is all going on in my in my professional life. And I ventured into, into the BDSM world for my personal exploration. I was I was interested personally, and I started out on the submissive side, and that provided such a deep healing, especially for um, some of the sexual trauma that I'd went through. And I know it, it sounds crazy. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. so I have this trauma. So I'm going to let somebody beat me in order to heal the trauma. It sounds absolutely wacky.
0: I know it does. I'm like, okay, help me understand.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. So bear with me. So here's the setup is that because everything is negotiated, everything is talked about all the way through it. The submissive actually has all of the power they're the ones that are saying ultimately what is okay and what is not okay And so that process allows you to start taking back your power and then within the scene you surrender to the other person because you've already you know scripted out loosely what you want to do with the scene and um, and what I did is I had some people who were very talented with energy work and and the BDSM and so we, reenacted the abuse but the key is that we were able to provide a different outcome in which I was able to reclaim my power in such a profound kinetic like kinesthetic way that that started to really change everything it changed my whole physiology Um, it changed my brain chemistry you know for the first time I I let go of the depression which I didn't even realize I had until I let go of it. Um, And that experience, so having such a dramatic shift in just two sessions was a pull for me. So my background as a healer, you know, led to the fact that I wanted to flip to the other side. I wanted to pick up the whips. I wanted to take people on this other healing journey because it was so profound and so quick. I mean, I had done 20 years of one, close to 20 years of therapy up to that mm. point. And it had never even come close to touching the transformation that I had in that moment. And since then, I've gone on, I've, I've done a lot of other things that have been quite profound as well. But that, that switch, seeing the transformation that's possible was, was really what called to me. Mm. Uh,
0: and again thank you for just explaining that so beautifully because i mean i'm learning a lot through this and i'm i you know i really hope our listeners are as well because it's so easy you know let's face as human beings we judge right I oh mean, yeah and, and we always judge when we don't understand mm-hmm. and if only we could have deeper conversations and ask better questions and yes. remain in curiosity we can learn so much um, you know, my background would have certainly, you know, growing up in very kind of middle middle class, prim and proper England, would have certainly been that's just weird. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're weird, like you know, that's not for us, kind of thing. Yeah. But frankly, that would also mean closing the door on it, right, and never being curious about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love what you said around, you know, the deep healing. I've also, you know, I've actually been a somatically trained coach myself. Right. I truly believe in healing through the body we can't just heal we can't heal we can make sense of things at a cognitive level but when there's just been not even necessarily trauma right I mean we're talking in your case like deep trauma mm-hmm. but for some of us we just need to heal like stories that we've taken on yeah yet they get embodied right you know embodied inside of us Mm-hmm. And say cognitively we can try and make sense, but yet we can often find that we're still being ruled and governed by those deeper stories. Yeah. yeah, and it's that body work, as you say, and the experience of something that can create such profound shifts. So, really, thank you for you know explaining that because this is really making sense for me now. And so, for you, as you say, going to the other side like, wasn't about, oh, now I've kind of discovered I've got this kinky side, right, which is kind of like what, (laughs) you know, on the outside it could look like. Yes. Right? It was, oh, I've experienced that because I've been in the hands of very gifted healers. And now I want that to be a part of my journey so that I can help other people. Yeah. And I have a kinky
1: side. So,
0: (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's both. There's okay. always a yes and. There's a yes and. I was going to say, and like, do we have whole outfits that are cool around this? I mean, we can oh, go yeah. off into, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There's always going to be another side, a bit like me with tennis, right? It's like uh, we do these things for, you know, the outfits and everything and the, the other persona <laughs> that we can get into. So, okay. So let's bridge this into, you know, a, what then, what has being a dominatrix, because we were looking at, okay, that was on the submissive side, on the healing side. So mm-hmm. then, what was being a dominatrix? What did that teach you? What did oh my you goodness. learn some of those lessons from there?
1: So much, so much. And, uh, you know, quick little plug for my book. So I have a book called Become a Badass in Business. It's all about linking these lessons from the dungeon. To the business world, um, but just to kind of give you the highlight reels. Basically, for me, um, the the main thing is that walking into that room. So you've already had your discussion. You've negotiated with the client. What's okay? What's not okay? And in that moment, when you walk in, you need to embody this presence and this power of, I'm in charge. I say what goes. And I have this. And to me, that is such a huge component for business owners is that most business owners wimp out and then they get walked on by their clients. They get walked on in negotiations and they give it all away and they don't have profits. And so to me, it's learning to really embody that, that presence. And it's not a mean kind of presence. It's because I'm always thinking, okay, I have to remember, what are their triggers? What's okay? What's not okay? Like this has all been negotiated and I have to keep that in mind. So, and I have to make sure that they're safe, right? There, there are some physical issues here. I could kill them, right? There, There are physical issues. So it's kind of a high level service position in that I'm making sure that they are getting what they need. So that they can transform and get the outcome that they want. But in that moment, when they surrender their power, I'm the one that's in charge. And I have to be willing to hold that. Because if I don't hold it, here's the great thing. Submissives will not surrender if you're faking it. There is no faking it in the dungeon. You got to be it or don't be it. (laughs) <laughs> like there's no in between and that's the beauty is like for me it's that embodiment learning to actually like be in it not just wear a costume
0: yeah be in it and again it's back to that you know I fake it till you make it is something I'm really against precisely oh. for those reasons right exactly it's, it's just so you know so cliche so overdone and yet as you say there's you know we can't, we can never out kind of pace or outsmart our own identity, right? And that beingness. Yeah. Yeah. So I know one of the things as well that you've, you know, you've said, and again, from those lessons is, you know, if we, if we start to now bridge this into money, right? Because there's a whole load of bridges here for one of the things I see, I know that you see it as well is, you know, we get in our own way as women business owners, we Mm. don't, own our value that's one of the places I go to it's like we're not we don't we don't own our value and that means that we're not fully in our power right yeah and then that's going to translate into you know in in my world as you say we'll see that we we won't sign up the right clients we'll second guess ourselves we undercharge as you say we're not paying ourselves I mean a whole load of kind of money you know problems start to show up but can you share a little bit more about your perspective, you know, on that, that link with, you know, it's not a money problem. It's really that power, that personal power problem.
1: Yeah. I, you know, the money to me is like, can be a barometer. So, and, and to me, I say, it's like, it's not just top dollar. Cause I've worked with a, with several millionaires who are not making profit. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's that combination of making sure that the top dollar's there, but also that you're making profit. And and whatever craziness is going on with your world of money, we can always look and root that back to, all right, let's look at where you're not holding your power. Because if you actually stand in your power, in this place of like, I'm allowed to ask for money just because I'm allowed to ask for money, not because I'm worth it or I deserve it, which I hate those terms, mm. but just because like I can, because I'm willing to, then the money problems start to disappear. You start to treat your business in a different way. When you really hold your power and you say, okay, you know what? I'm going to treat this like a business owner, like a real serious business owner. And then they're looking at the bottom line going, Hey, things are not working in the bottom line. What's not working. And you're going to address it. But when you're not in your power, you're like, Oh, you know, and you're in that panic state and in the panic state, you can't see it. So to me, all of the things come down to what's getting in the way of you really feeling like you have it in you to be that powerful business person. And powerful doesn't mean squashing people.
0: Right? Yeah. It's not power over, right? No. A very, very different form of power. This is you being in your power
1: yeah, and I like to describe it as power with. So you have mm-hmm. power with your clients, power with you know your coworkers, your colleagues, your joint ventures, all those pieces. But it, yeah, it's not about a power over because you you go far further, longer when you collaborate. And at the same time, you know, when that client pushes back and says, I don't think you delivered what you said you were going to deliver. And, you know, you can look at it and you say, OK, here's what I promised. Here's what I delivered. Um, you know, and the, if you're not in your power, you'd be like, oh, well, OK, I'll give you an extra hour of my time or, oh, let me give you a partial refund. Or, right. But when you're in your power, you say, here's the things. Where do you feel that it fell short? you're going to turn it back to the other person. It's easy to turn it back to the other person because you're not busy making yourself wrong. Yeah. It's, uh, you know,
0: again, it is so powerful, right? You know that the word that's sitting in my mind as well, like, even when you're talking about in the, in the dungeon and again, being in your power now. For me, this is all about respect. It's self-respect mm-hmm. and respect for others. hmm Right. So it's the, that, it's that and, and, and as you yeah. say, you know, and it has to start, as you say, with self-respect first, but yeah. again, power over is typically now we're not respecting other people. right?
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I love drawing on the lesson from the dungeon of that when you hold that energy, when you're standing in that power and you're really, you're inflicting, you know, either mental pain or physical pain, you're doing it for their own good. And I think this is a really big lesson in business is that there's a lot of times when we have to hold our clients accountable, when we have to push back, but it's for their own good. You know, when we've delivered everything that we say that we would deliver and they don't feel happy, then holding them to that space and putting that mirror up and saying, what is missing makes them look at their own pieces yeah. And that's a gift, right? That's that tough love that makes people grow. Yeah.
0: And and again, it's this, res, it's respectful, it's kind as well, right? Yeah. It's that clarity. And I have to say, I have so much respect for people that communicate with me in that way. Right. Because right. again, yeah, I do, I think it's a gift, right? It doesn't always feel comfortable in the moment, but that's what no. this work, right? You know, can be triggering if we've got something to clean up around there <laughs> um, and willing to own that. But again, it, as you say, it's that holding up the mirror, but particularly when it's done in such a respectful, calm, kind way, it's that, it's back to the, yeah, there's no debating this. It, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you see, I mean, in terms of, I'm curious about your journey. I mean, your own journey, you know, from again, being in the cult, being a dominatrix, being a business, you've been a business owner for many, many years. Now you are clocking up by my calculation about three decades. Yes. Right? So again, <laughs> yeah. you know, well-seasoned and experienced. What have you seen about your own journey with money and owning your, you know, your value and then really being in your power. How has that shifted for you over the years?
1: It, that, and that's huge. Like That's really been such a big motivator for the work that I do now is seeing that journey. So um, another little side story that gets fun for people, you know, it'll take more time, but basically the business that I had, the the massage supply outlet, I built that up to a seven figure level. We had six staff and then um, 2012 things started to, to kind of come to a head because I was not holding my power, right? Like on the outside, you can say, oh, well, it's because the staff were screwing up or, you know, we had clients go bankrupt and not pay us. And, you know, those are the obvious, Mm -hmm. but really I wasn't holding my power. And when I really got honest with myself about the fact that I hired people who needed jobs instead of hiring the best people, I, you know, I gave in, I made friends with them, which I don't regret, but I made friends with them and then stopped holding them accountable. Yes. And those are the pieces, right? Those are the pieces that caused my business to, to really, to go almost under. I did turn it around and then eventually sell it. But recognizing that when i as i was turning it around when i really brought in this dominatrix energy i saw sa- sales go up and then you know being human there are times where it was like oh i would like uh, fall back into the thing and sales would drop off and i watched this pattern a few times and went oh my goodness, this is it. This is Mm. a huge component of the piece. And it is not about clearing your money blocks. It is about figuring out what is in the way of you holding your power, whether that's trauma that's unresolved or just, you know, just that you haven't ever experienced it. You don't know what it feels like and you don't know how to do it. You know, do you need the language? Like what are the things, but figuring that out and
0: changing it. Yeah. And as you said, there's, there's some things as well, Dana, you've said today, I mean, some real truth bombs here. And I kind of want to go back over them. And, um, you know, you said as well, like the whole going down that deserving and worthy path. Oh. Right? And you see my, <laughs> kind of my eye roll as well. I feel like, again, it's a massive trap. You it know, is. It's, a real, it's a real trap. And I feel like it's a trap as well that's kept in place by some people that, you know, really, you oh. know, again, in, in, a, in a manipulative way. Yes. Because let's face it, you can't, we're never going to win that battle. I mean, if we start going down the, am I worthy? Am I deserving? Mm-hmm. All of these things. It's like, like, Hey, why are you not really and truly? And then we get into stories and this happened. Now I've got to heal this. It's like, how far down do we have to keep going? Right. Mm-hmm. I've known people that have been on those journeys for three decades. Right. And they still aren't getting ahead in business. Yeah. Right. And they still haven't, you know, like, you know, yep. they haven't cracked even the six-figure code. And it's like, good lord, because you've put all of this energy, frankly, in the wrong place because it's just a lose, it's a losing game. It is. And I always come back to like, could we just accept the fact that we're a miracle? However, we got here, we're all an absolute miracle, irrespective of backstories, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And yeah. like when you are adding value to the world through your business, it is just right <laughs> and normal that value comes back to you. Yeah. And, and I always
1: like to invite people. It's like, you know what? Just ditch the whole idea of deserve or worthy. You are neither. You will not be either. Who cares? Make money because you decide to make money. There yes. is a lot of people in the world we can point to. I won't name names, but there's a lot of people we can point to who make money, a lot of money that I would say don't deserve it.
0: Yeah. What? So deserving has nothing to do nothing, with nothing. Zippo
1: yeah. to do with making money and being worthy has nothing to do with making. Money is a choice that you make. That's it. Money is a choice that you make. Feeling deserving, feeling worthy is also a choice that you make, but it is not something that you need to clear in yeah. my.
0: Experience. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And as you say, you know, we know there's plenty of people in the world that are rolling in it, mm-hmm. and you know, as you say, <laughs> have been have done it by you know absolutely unethical means. And they yes. like, why do we think that they're more deserving than you are? They're not. So I, think, yeah, I love that. You know, is say, like let's just you know let's just cut that, and um, not go there. And as you say, this it's a choice. Yeah, um, and I love that you say it like that. It's a choice to be, you know, it's a choice to explore being in your power. It's a choice to be successful in business. Yes, and um, it's a choice to want to really dig in and do the work. I think mean, that's the other side of it, right? You've done a lot of work on yourself. Um, I know I have. You know, I'm definitely a personal development junkie, and it's <laughs> always, you know, we're always peeling back the, you know, the onion. There's always new layers. But there's also the work around. I mean, there's the personal side of it and the leadership side. But there's also the doing the work to learn the skills of being in business. Right? That's also yeah. Right? Yeah. And again, those those are all powerful choices that we can make. So um, somebody that is listening to this though today, and I mean, I shared with you. Listen, before we started, I was on the tennis court. And that's you know. anyone's watching this have probably seen me change color because I was so red when I started it's incredibly hot here and it's just hot and steamy in the desert which is not how we like it we like it dry um so I was I said to you I wasn't in my power on the tennis court this morning and I was really aware of that really aware of it and of course I was, you know, what was really grabbing my attention was the steaminess. I was just feeling so hot and uncomfortable and everything. And then, you know, reminding myself that I wasn't in in my power and using some of my internal practices, right? To kind of bring myself back in the moment. But yeah. what are some of the things that you recommend? Somebody that's just listening today that when they notice like, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm in a real kind of wimpy place or I'm making excuses. I'm clearly not in my power. What are some of the things that you recommend?
1: Okay. So I'm going to diverge from like the standard protocol of what people say, um,
0: Let get a little
1: little edgy here. Let's go, edgy. edgy. Here's what I want you to do because we're we have you have a, a primarily female audience. Um, I want you to do some kegels, okay? Squeeze your perineum muscles, okay? What happens when you do that is that it provides a little bit of sexual stimulus, but it reminds you of your power, your grounded power as women. Our power source is actually in our root chakra, our genitals. Mm. And this is something that a lot of people don't talk about. But of course, as a former dominatrix, I'm like willing to go in a lot of places. Yes. But that is really powerful ways ways to actually ground yourself in a way that, that changes the dynamics, right? Because most people are like, oh, I don't know how to get in my power, da, 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 right? And they're all in their head. When you stop and you take a deep breath and you squeeze your genitals to, to allow yourself to feel alive, to feel that little bit of juiciness again, then what you do is you pump some of that engine power back up into your body. And this is what I say is that we need our head to logically figure out the strategies, the systems, right? We need our heart to feel the passion, the connectedness of what we want to do and put out in the world. But we need the pussy power to actually drive the engine. Mm -hmm. And if you're not engaging all three and having them connected, then you're just going to be spinning on, you know, what to do and that I feel so passionate about what I'm doing and you generally don't move forward. So to me, that's a really big part of it is to, is to really start getting connected with your body again. And that's a fast way to do it. There's of course a warning label that goes with that is that if you haven't dealt with your sexual trauma um, and this starts to ignite it please reach out to get that healed because mm. it is a possibility um, but that's just your body's way of saying
0: hey we're ready to heal this yes yeah watch out girlfriends they, 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 by the way they're going to be listening into this podcast as well so I said watch out girlfriends on the tennis court now I have a new tool in the toolkit <laughs> Right. Yeah. But it's so true because we, but again, we often do, we try and access these things through our head and the uh-huh. head is great for, as you say, strategizing and planning and those smarts, but we, we, we've got to tap into deeper places. Um, so good, Dana. Are you ready for my quick seven? Yes. Bring it you on in your power. I'm you in my have, power. You're always <laughs> in your power. Okay. Because you haven't prepped these. So I know i um, you going to ask. Let me, let's go for it. Okay, the quick seven. Fill in the blank. Living richly means?
1: Uh, Having loads of choices.
0: Best $100 you've spent recently and why?
1: Oh my goodness. Best $100 I spent recently. Uh, I bought some giddy yo-yo chocolate. It is like the most to die for orgasmic, pure organic bliss.
0: There we go. And it costs a hundred dollars.
1: Well, I buy it in bulk.
0: Oh, I was going to say like, that's really expensive. <laughs> okay, I'm like, where Did you did you have it shipped in first? Uh,
1: yeah, it's two kilograms of. <laughs>
0: <laughs> my gosh, that really is expensive. A book or podcast that's been highly influential for you? Or what, perhaps it might be just one that you're even listening to right now. That's just really.
1: Oh, uh, okay. I just finished. Actually, I just put this out into my email list too. Um, Recapture the Rapture. It's uh, Jamie Wheel, and it's like it is looking at redefining how we find meaning in life. And then he explores all the different means that we get to experience um, peak experience. So a new sense of way of connecting spiritually. So through breath, through music, through sexuality, and of course, through psychedelics.
0: So Ooh, okay, good. so I like that title. That's one I'm going to download that one as well for myself. Yep. <laughs> Feel your calling to your next level of leadership and you're scared. What's the next thing you do? Uh, call my coach. So many people respond with that one. Mm-hmm. If you haven't got a coach, you need to get one. Everybody needs uh-huh. a coach, everyone needs multiple coaches, by yes. the way. It's kind of the best and, and,
1: and up level as you outgrow one, get the next level.
0: Yeah, or make sure that your coach is really, you know, deeply entrenched in their own growth. Yes. Something you wish you were better at today.
1: Hmm. You know, I, the first thing that comes to my mind is singing. I just, for my own sake, I, I don't necessarily want to torture anyone. <laughs>
0: okay. Okay. I love yeah. to sing as well. So oh, cool. uh, what's, on your, what's on your bucket list that you're really wanting to achieve in the next three years?
1: Oh, definitely. What's really been formulating is having week long retreats where I take people through extreme personal development. So having all of these different skills that I have. So from the dominatrix, the psychedelic world, um, the intense radical honesty, and really immersing people into an experience where they can just shift and up level, have some of that peak experience. That is so needed in the world today.
0: Ooh, that sounds really good. And right. then, something that you're deeply grateful for today.
1: Mm. I'm gonna pick my cat. So I have um, I have two Bengal cats. One has decided to go adventuring for the summer, um, and then the other one. She came to me, and she was this terribly scared little girl. She spent the first two weeks hiding under my bed. And after two years of like incrementally working with her and so slow, so slow. Today she's like this so much of a love bug. Today Mm. she was just so snuggly and and cuddly. I was like,
0: oh, she she loves me. Oh furry friends are just just the best. They are. Dana, this has been really amazing. Thank you. Thank you for being such an amazing guest. We're gonna make sure that we get all the ways to connect with you in the show notes. And I want to make sure we get your book in the show notes as well, because I think every woman listening to this show should grab a copy of that book and learn an awful lot from those lessons, lessons in the dungeon and how that applies to business. So really, thank you from my heart to yours. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much.